number seven, 2021. We are reading from the big book of AA, pages 33. Uh, Sharon uh, W. will be our reader, uh, followed by a 20-minute share by Claudia of Seattle, Washington. So I'm going to ask Sharon, uh, would you begin the reading, please? Hi, thank you, Michael. Sharon W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Los Angeles. Um, to be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time nor take the quantities some of us have. This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. We who are familiar with the symptoms see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try and get them to see it. As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remained sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making the resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, the utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. How then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? Thank you. Thank you, Sharon, for reading. Uh, so next, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Claudia from Seattle, Washington, who will share her, um, her strength, uh, uh, her experience, her program with us. Uh, Claudia will share for approximately 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Uh, Claudia, would you like me to provide you with some, some times like a, a 15 minute and a five minute, uh, um, what would help you? Yes, that would be super helpful. Thank you, Michael. If you can, if you can do um, every five minutes, just like a, maybe a little sound or you can okay. just, yeah. I can do that, absolutely. Great. Thank okay. You. 
All right. Well, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for this meeting. I'm so excited and I want to welcome newcomers. Um, my name is Claudia C. I'm a compulsive eater. I've been in OA for, I believe it's 27 years. I lost count. I honestly wasn't paying attention when I came in. I was pretty nuts. Um, a miracle happened to me. And the miracle is that I was obese, struggled with food most of my life. And by the time I was 20 years old, I couldn't even stop binging for three hours. Like every morning I would start and say, today's the day. I'm gonna eat like a normal person. I have to lose weight. And then by 10 a.m. I was binging. And the miracle is that I've been abstinent for 18 years and at a healthy weight for 17 years. And that is 100% OA and higher power. I wanna give a special welcome to newcomers and also to anyone who is suffering inside the program. Uh, Cause this, the promises of this program are true. 100% freedom, happiness, joy, usefulness, neutrality with food, they are all they, I, I like to call them the warranties because they're guaranteed if I do what the program tells me. So about this reading, this is an amazing, amazing um, chapter. It's one of my favorite because it really nails down the obsession of the mind. And it really tells me again. I mean, they've talked to us about the first step uh, in the doctor's opinion, Bill's story, but this chapter, you know, it's like they're not going to leave anything to chance, you know, so so they we have this chapter more about alcoholism. And um, I loved studying these pages for this meeting today. And we are reading this same chapter and we just read this last week, the same at the meeting where I go. And um the part, you know, the first paragraph, to be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink for a long time, nor take the quantities some of us have. And I started thinking, like, how does this relate to a compulsive eater? Because here it goes on, I'm talking about women. You know who I thought about with this chapter? I thought about children, because children have access to my drug of choice, which is, you know, it's the sugar, you know, the foods that are really addictive. There are foods that we know that are addictive, you know, and, and they're not the same for everyone, you know, eh? I love that about our program, that freedom, that dignity of choice. I love that. But I know that for me, it's uh, foods that are addictive for most compulsive eaters, you know, sugar, fat, salt, some chemicals that are put in food. And, um, you know, many processed foods, for example, are made to be addictive. They are designed, they are engineered that way. And I don't want to criticize the food industry or anything like that because, you know, OA has no opinion on outside issues. But, you know, just from my experience, you know, I can tell, you know, what processed foods do to my body. And I know that fats, fast foods, for example, are made to be, you know, it says highly palatable, you know, that means that they taste really, really good. And I was thinking about this 
um, paragraph and I thought, wow, you know, like a kid, you know, like me as a kid, I remember, I have memories of food while I was on my high chair. I'm sure I was not a food addict then, but I was already greatly affected. And my relationship with food was this relationship of like, oh, you know, I want this, you know? So I thought of a child, you know, when reading this paragraph and, you know, be astonished at their possibility to stop, at, you know, their inability to stop, you know, like I work at, I, I worked at a, at, a, at an elementary school and I can see like the kids being rewarded with these foods that are highly addicted to me. And I can see the face, you know, I can see the face of like, oh my gosh, it's like an ecstasy. So I think that for compulsive eaters, this paragraph, we can be gravely affected, you know, even as minors, even as, even probably, I would say in my case, even as a baby, I don't know when I lost my ability to stop, but I know that I tried to stop even as a little kid. And I went to my first diet doctor before I was 12 years old. So, you know, I know that mom had tried everything she thought she could do. And I certainly did not want to be overweight, but I couldn't stop. You know, I couldn't stop that. That really blew me away when reading this paragraph. The second paragraph that we read, you know, as we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our own willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try living liquor for one year. And for me, you know, I, I did. I tried to quit you know, since I was a little kid. And, you know, I have to say that I went to see that diet doctor that was helpful. I did lose weight, but I didn't know how it worked when it comes to the physical cravings and what the big book talks about. You know, the big book talks about the allergy of the body. It talks about the phenomenon of craving. Like I had no idea, like my plan, every time I started a diet or a you know, way to lose weight or, you know, get to be smaller. Uh, my plan was that as soon as I finished, I was going to go back to eating those favorite foods, you know, those foods that I loved. So in this second paragraph, you know, when it talks about quitting, you know, one problem that I found when I came to OA is like for the alcoholic, it's clear what they need to stop. For me, it wasn't that clear. It's like, okay, you know, I can't quit. Can I quit? And I knew I couldn't quit. Like I totally felt like food owned me. <laughs> like, like there's a part in the book that says food was my master. Oh my gosh, food was, I mean, alcohol was my master. I felt food was my master. I knew I couldn't quit. But when I came into OA, it's like, what do I have to quit? Obviously, we can't stop eating. I have to eat. So the solution that was given to me is that I had to get really honest and really clear as to what I needed to quit putting in my body. You know, and there's different methods of doing that. For me, it was 
someone handed me a food plan and they said, don't eat anything that's, that's not on this food plan, number one. Don't eat anything that you like too much or that once you um, want to eat more or that you think about, you know, and there were certain foods on that food plan that I had to remove. And what they told me is if you eat those foods and think you're going to get away with it, eventually they're going to catch up with you. They're going to get you, you know, you're going to compulsively overeat again. So there are different methods to determine what I needed to quit or what we need to quit as compulsive eaters. And I love that. Like, um, I love a method that I think it's very open and, you know, it's where we write down like the ingredients that the different foods that we crave have. And by that, we can figure out what ingredients we are allergic to and, I, I've seen this work in a lot of people, you know, and talking about, okay, just do the experiment. Can you quit for a year? And, you know, with compulsive eating, with food addiction, like addictive food, and, and sometimes I like to, to not call it food. I like to call it substance because some of these things are not food. They're not nourishing to my body. If you think about it, like the foods that are addictive to me are foods that now we know cause inflammation or, you know, they basically destroy my body. They feed cancer cells. But that, again, that is an outside issue. We don't have opinions on that. But I can tell that- 10 minutes. Thank you so much. I can tell that these foods don't feed my body. This is not nourishing to my body. So those substances, I needed to find out specifically and one peculiar thing about this disease is it takes over my mind, right? So it tells me in the chapter of the doctor's opinion that I lose the ability to be honest when I'm active in my addiction. So when a compulsive eater comes in, when I come into the, came into the program, like if I was eating all those foods, like telling an addict that's eating their foods, like, oh, you know, you have to determine what you need to stop eating. Like it can be really hard, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that hard because at the beginning, you know, there's suggestions from like uh, the pamphlet Dignity of Choice, for example, you know, that work for a lot of people. And if I lose the ability to be honest, you know, I'm going to try to justify anything as an addict. You know, they say that the job of the addict is to defend their substance. But what I have clear today is that if I pause and I sit down with another compulsive eater that's abstinent and we do this together, higher power is going to come into that room. Higher power is going to be there. Higher power is going to give me the ability to be honest and determine what I need to abstain from. Because for us compulsive eaters, if you think about it, some of, some of, our, some of those substances that we're allergic to are hidden. They're hidden with beautiful labels that say, this is healthy. This is organic. This will give you energy. Uh, this will help you think better. This will cure all your diseases. So that pause, you know, and, and I love it that, you know, in a way we have the tool of a food plan and that we have the definition of abstinence. 
So how many can be abstinent for a month or a year? Like I couldn't, I mean, for me, even dieting with a professional, uh, I would binge right after I lost the weight, I would binge. So I knew, you know, I knew. I love the definition of abstinence of OA, especially what they've added. They added in the 2021 definition. And I want to read it to you. It says, abstinence is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. This was a definition for a while. And then they added, spiritual, emotional, and physical recovery is the result of living and working the Overeaters Anonymous 12-step program. And then this year, they added on a daily basis. Ah, I love that because I know that that's my solution, you know? So, but this book goes on on telling me you know, and it tells me right now on, on the third paragraph that we read, it says, for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. Like, so for me, a compulsive eater, the question is how do I stop altogether to eat those specific foods? And the big book saved my life with that concept of entire abstinence. Wow. It's like, what does that mean? So for me, it's a combination of that definition that I read to you from the from OA, and then the idea of the big book of entire abstinence, that idea that I cannot consume anything, no matter, like if there's a hundred of compulsive overeaters in the room, and 99 of them can eat a certain substance, but that substance makes me wanna, want more. And that substance says, Claudia, uh, it's almost lunchtime. You're gonna get to eat me because you know what? The foods that I love talk to me. Then even if 99% of those people can eat it, I need to be honest with myself. And I need to say, you know what? All of these people can eat it, but you know what? I can't. I can't because I've done the experiment. Every time I consume X, Y, or C, I want more, or I'm thinking about it. Or sure, I have a food plan that tells me I can have three fats with lunch, but then I start thinking, oh yeah, I want peanut butter to be my fat at every single meal, no matter what I'm eating. You know, a lot of what composite- do you five to go. What was that? Five to go. Thank you so much. A lot of compulsive overeaters can eat peanut butter, for example. I can't. I can't because then I'm stuck on peanut butter and I want to have salad with peanut butter. You know, that just does not make sense. So it's so good to know this about myself, my mind, my body. Um, third paragraph that we read, you know, um, so important, you know, that entire abstinence. And to know that we have a definition for abstinence, but that the food plan is individual. And that quitting on a non-spiritual basis, that's the definition. Like if I am unable to quit, like even if I was obese my whole life and I had problems, you know, knee problems and back problems and diabetes. And then one day a good enough reason is presented to me. Like Claudia, if you don't stop eating, you're going to die. Or Claudia, you're going to develop diabetes. Or Claudia, uh, heart disease or pain in your body, whatever it is. Emotional reasons like, oh, you have to be well for your grandkids. 
or whatever the reason is, if I am able to quit on a non-spiritual basis, according to the big book, you know, that what defines an alcoholic, what defines an addict is someone that needs that spiritual help to overcome it, right? I'm that sort of person. I need spiritual help. I need a spiritual program. And the spiritual program is the 12 steps, right? And it talks here, you know, about the crux of the problem is, or the crux, sorry about my accent, but the crux of the problem, you know, it's like how, like the mental state, that's one thing that's really important to differentiate. I love that the big book emphasizes that it's mental. You know, I never knew about mental until I started studying the big book. You know, in, in OA, we talk about the three, physical, emotional, and spiritual. The mental is so important for me because what they're telling us, you know, in this fifth paragraph and fourth paragraph, you know, they're telling us that, you know, how can we help others understand how this disease works? Because it's obviously not just exercise more and eat less. Otherwise, there wouldn't be an epidemic of obesity. There wouldn't be an epidemic of you know, people trying to figure out there wouldn't be a multi-million dollar industry, you know, food industry and then lose weight industry and, you know, whatever, clinic industry. There wouldn't, you know, we would be able to solve it, but we're not. So what do we have in OA? You know, how can we share with people, you know, this message? Well, OA has the 15 questions. I love that, you know, where you can diagnose, easily diagnose yourself, like it says, you know, you can easily diagnose yourself. Uh, to see if you are a compulsive eater. Um, and like, I, I, I think like what sort of thinking dominated me before I started compulsively eating or I took that first compulsive bite, you know, and it was always like, oh, a little bit won't hurt. Or, well, I'm too mad. So I need something to make me feel better. Or, oh my God, I need to, we need to celebrate. Yes, let's go eat. Sure, you know. Uh, or, you know, I'm in the Netherlands and you're only going to eat this here or, oh, my God, Dutch, you know, this is the land of pancakes. We have to eat but Whatever the reason is, that sort of thinking is going to get me to eat that first compulsive bite. And once I put that into my body, I'm going to lose control. So I think I have probably a minute or two. So I want to say that this disease of compulsive eater is subtle, is, is like the book says, funding, baffling, powerful. But the problem, I think it's very easy to minimize compulsive eating. Like, oh, but at least I'm not, you know, uh, this or that, you know, other addiction that maybe it's illegal or that whatever, you know, that you go to jail or you crash a car. But I need to say that for me, I've seen this disease destroy families, destroy relationships between children and their moms. I'm an example, but it's repaired now thanks to the program, you know, uh, divorce. Like I've seen, like, at least in myself, like not wanting to be with my husband, being embarrassed of my body, you know, things like that, where, because the disease, it's not only the obesity, it's like the biggest part of the disease is in my mind, you know, like then the big book explains to us how it works and what we need to do to get out of those mental states, you know. Um, me wanting to control life and me playing God, for example, or me believing a bunch of lies, me trying to live my life based on lies, on things that I believe that don't work. 
when I try to make decisions and I run my life based upon theories in my mind that don't work, my life would be a failure. So don't underestimate this disease ever, ever. We need to take it so seriously because our substance, or at least my substance is available everywhere. And I need to say that for me, the instructions of the big book, I love them because they're simple. And I love all the oil literature, but I love the instructions of the big book. They are simple. And I have to say that for me, when I'm willing to follow them, when I'm willing to do it, because see, one thing is that my mind can trick me into thinking that I'm doing it when I'm not, right? Because I, I know the theory. I've read this book many times. I can recite entire pages of this book, but still today, that's why I love that they added to the definition of abstinence on a daily basis, like work the 12-step program, not be abstinent on a daily basis. That's just an itty bitty tiny part of the piece, which is huge and it's a miracle but work the 12 steps on a daily basis. You know, I, I need that entire abstinence where I'm not going to be eating anything that wakes up my desire to eat more. It's not going to wake up my monster, but I also need to work the 12 steps on a daily basis. Today, I wrote a list because I wanted to be present for this meeting. And I know I always have fear in the morning, even though I can't feel it. And at first I was like, no, I'm in great shape today. And then I thought, okay, don't ask yourself, what are you resentful of or, or, or what are you fearful of? Just write a list and say, what do you feel powerless over? And it all came out, blah, you know, 15 things that I'm like writing down about my kids, my husband, my work and different, you know, things going on in my life. And I just took that stuff and put it in a little bag. And I said, higher power, here you go. Here you go. And it's amazing. And I have to say that for me, when I do it, not when I think about it or when I read about it, but when I do actually sit down to work my steps, do an inventory of my resentments, my fears, anything that I'm feeling I harm someone about. And then I go through the process of steps, you know, four through nine. You can do it quickly once you've learned them. Um, I have peace. I have peace. I have serenity. I can live my life, be present. I can be useful. I, I can be sane, you guys. I can be sane. So thank you so much for letting me share. I appreciate it. And I just wish all of us a, a serene, sane, and abstinent day.